you realize how quick it can change. It's just like walking down the stairs here and then the next minute, boom, like instantly changed life forever. Boom, no going back. If I'd have stepped left, if I'd have stepped right, maybe it would have been different. It's just, it can change so quickly. Welcome back to Take Flight. I'm your host, Mark Whittle, and the guest for episode 116 is former Royal Marine, author, motivational speaker, and possibly the most inspiring person I've ever met. Welcome to Life Lessons from an Amputee with Mark Ormrod, MBE. Christmas Eve 2007 in Afghanistan marked the moment that would forever change Mark's life. In this conversation, we hear exactly what happened that day, how he recovered both physically and mentally, Plus, we learn everything he took from the experience. To hear all our life lessons from this season and conversations beyond, subscribe to Take Fly on your platform of choice. And please share this episode with anyone you think would benefit, as it's deeply moving, yet incredibly motivational. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy. Mark, welcome to the Take Flight podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, thank you for doing it with me. I, I, I actually don't know when I first heard about you, but I spoke to a, a load of military lads and they're always the ones that I like the best. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so to any of the past guests who are athletes or entrepreneurs, I apologize. But <laughs> I also, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I don't know if it's the camaraderie. I was a, I played football myself. So mm -hmm. used to that kind of changing room environment. Banner. Yeah, banner yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like, so I had like Jay Morton on. Oh, okay. You got the through dark hat yes, on there. Yeah. So, um, and a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a free kit the other day, the lads nice. did. Yeah, I went to see him. <laughs> Amazing. Um, like Ollie Ollerton and Jason Fox. Yeah. Like, I know you've been on Fox's podcast. Mm -hmm. and, um, so yeah, mate, I've just been really looking forward to, to chatting with you for a while. So please cool. to come down and see you. Awesome. Well, let's let's chop it up. Yeah, let's do it, man. And timing wise, well, don't know, is it good timing or bad timing? But you've got an amazing event tomorrow, world record attempt. Yeah, no, it's, it's good timing. Yeah, it's good okay. timing. Um, it gives me, it helps keep my mind occupied. Okay. You know what I mean? Rather than just sitting at home now waiting to do the school run, yeah. I'm proactive, I'm doing things, I'm, I'm keeping my mind in that good headspace, you know? Mm. So yeah, exciting, but busy times. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit more about what it is you're doing tomorrow? So I'm going to do a one kilometer open water sea swim. Um, I'll give you a bit of context and background. So I... I've been working with a charity called Reorg for about two and a half, three years, but they only incorporated as a charity last year in October. So once we got Christmas out of the way, I thought what I'm going to do here to help get, I'm also a trustee of the charity, to get some eyeballs on the website so people can see what their mission is and to get some funds in the coffers, mm -hmm. I'm going to shave my beard off. And that eventually, because my, my youngest daughter did it, she's seven, okay. that morphed into shaving all my hair off and nearly <laughs> my eyebrows. But I just thought, right, if we can raise a thousand pounds just through my social media, you know, it was a bit of a scraggy beard anyway, it needed to come off. And so I was killing two birds with one stone. Well, three, because then we were going to get some eyeballs on the website. So we did that. And, you know, she's really cute. All my kids are cute. And my little seven-year-old, she's really good on camera. She's just like sassy and cheeky and everyone <laughs> loved it. And we did the thousand pounds in like 32 hours. So then I was talking to my coach, Ben, who is also a former Royal Marine. Mm -hmm. He was a physical training instructor in the Marines. He's now a civilian physical training instructor who owns his own gym here yeah. in Plymouth called Pantheon. And he said, you know, that was really quick. That's really good. Why don't we do something 
extra, you know, let's, let's run with the momentum. Because we were in lockdown and there were loads of eyes and ears on digital platforms and there was a big audience there. So I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? He says, how about if we take it to 5K, as in 5,000 pounds, we run 5K. Now, I detest running, right? Like with a passion. I never liked it when I had legs and I hate it without them. <laughs> and I haven't ran, I hadn't ran at that point for about three years. So I have specialist blades, right? Running prosthetics. Yeah. They were in my garage under a chest of drawers covered in cobwebs and dust. So I'm like, right, okay. And, and I was getting a little bit restless as well because of lockdown and everything. And I thought, okay, we can get outside. Like, we knew the exact perfect place to train in the mm -hmm. outdoors where it was safe. So I dusted the blades off. We went down to the park and we started training, you know, our first training session. Now I haven't ran in years. None of my prosthetics were set up. I couldn't get an appointment with the prosthetic clinic because of lockdown to get any adjustments made. But that first day was just, to figure all that out. Mm. So we went down and I'm like, what do you want to do then? He went, we'll, we'll do like two and a half K. I'm like, mate, I haven't ran for like three years. It takes me as a bilateral above knee amputee just to walk around and do anything 300 to 500% more energy than an able-bodied person. Mm. With running, it's like six or 700%. So my fitness levels were nowhere near ready. So we said, what we'll do is we'll walk, run, walk, run, walk, run, work out what I need to do to my legs, work out what my fitness levels are at, and then we'll build it from there. We'll have about eight weeks, and then we'll go and smash out a 5K when we get to 5,000 pounds on the fundraising. So we're filming all this, and we got this local uh, company, local Red Air Media. They wanted to come down and help out and just volunteer their, their mm -hmm. services and time. And we get to about... 2,200 meters, right? And we're just about to finish up for the day. And I'm getting tired and, you know, my, my glutes are exhausted and, and my cardio is all over the place. And I'm just finishing up like the last 200, 300 meters. And I slipped. Right? On the end of my blade, there's, on the bottom of it, there's a sole, like a trainer yeah, sole. Yeah. And it had worn away at the toe. And so the carbon fiber hit the tarmac and it's like ice. So I went into like the front splits position, took a big chunk out of the concrete on the floor, oh. landed on my back, knocked the wind out of myself. But I'm very like OCD with, with completing things. I'm like, well, we've still got 300 meters to go. We've got to go. We've got, I can't <laughs> sleep tonight unless I hit that 300 meter point. So we got up, we finished the run. And I'm a big fan when it comes to social media of not just showing all the good stuff and mm -hmm. the positive, you know, look how great my life is and, and all that kind of stuff. So I like to show some of the, the bad stuff. Mm -hmm. So I uploaded this video of me biting the dirt and it it just went viral. I think yeah, Monday when I spoke to the, the media guys that were filming us, they said collectively across all social media platforms, it's gone to like 45 million views, right? And that just kicked things off with like mainstream media, BBC, Good mm -hmm. Morning Britain, all that. So we went on there. Uh, onto the, to these media interviews and in the course of I think two days a Saturday and a Sunday the fundraising went to like 78,000 pounds so me and Ben are like well we've mm. got to do the run now we well, said we would do it when we get the 5,000 so we literally did one more training run and then went and did a 5k and I'm telling you now I don't know how I looked because I don't really watch the stuff back I think I looked okay, but inside mm. I was in pieces. Really? Like my legs, were, well, they were coming off, right? Because they, I hadn't had the time to get all the adjustments made I needed. They weren't aligned right. So they were like flicking off 
in the wrong direction. Yeah. They weren't optimized for me to be able to do the run comfortably. And because I hadn't ran for so long, when you sweat and everything mm -hmm. inside the socket, you get rubs and yeah. sores. My, just everything was going wrong, man. And, you know, just I was just tensing my legs in the socket to stop the legs falling off. Mm -hmm. That's how bad it actually wow. was when we did the run. But we grizzed it out and we just we literally just dragged ourselves through it. And the BBC live streamed it as I was doing, we were at an athletics track doing, I think, 12 and a half laps. And by the time I'd finished, I think we had 250 grand in the account. So I was like, that's insane. Do you know what I mean? This is, this is brilliant. Quarter of a million pound. What a great way to start this off. And then I'm ready to pack it up, go home and stretch off and just get on with my life. <laughs> and then Ben steps in. What are we going to do next, mate? What are we going to do next? I'm like, nothing. He said, no, no, we've got it. We've got to do something. So I'm like, okay, well, what can we do? I've got a hand cycle. I could do that. We could maybe at your gym host some sort of 24-hour CrossFit, jiu-jitsu event, something like that. And then he's like, why don't we go sea swimming? Because Ben's big into, he's got a group in Plymouth called Three Boys, and they're big into open water swimming. So I don't detest swimming, but I'm not great at it. I, I used to be, but ever since I lost my legs in a swimming pool, I found out a couple of years ago, I always have to have air in my lungs or I sink, mm. right? So I, I do it for, you know, exercise and stretching and cardio, but I don't do it at any sort of level. Yeah. So it's a struggle and I've only got one arm. So we went training one day and we were in the car park by the seafront. And at the end, Ben said, let's just go down and get in the water in just shorts. And it was six degrees. And again, not being an open water swimmer, I, I don't know if that's cold or not. Is that normal? Did people normally do it in six degrees? I don't have a clue. So I get down in there anyway, and I can't even speak. He's trying to talk to me. I'm like, the thing is, and I apologize if this is, is a bit rude, but like if you walk in the sea, the first thing to go in is your feet, right? Mm. Well, I'm walking on my bum. So my nuts are the first thing to hit the water. And it was like someone ran up and just kicked me between the it legs. the worst bit, isn't it? And I was like, B -b 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 Ben. <laughs> and I got out and I'm like, there's no way we're doing this. So he went, no, you'll be fine. Get a wetsuit. So I went home and I had a off the shelf, shorty gull wetsuit, right? So I thought, <laughs> just being a complete idiot, I'm like, well, there's my wetsuit. Let's go. There's no seals on it, right? In the legs and the arm. It was like this. So I jumped in the water and the water just goes straight inside the wetsuit, oh, fills oh. up. It's absolutely pointless. Ben told me to wear a hat and goggles. I refused because of how stupid I looked, which was a massive mistake because I got an instant headache mm -hmm. and I couldn't do uh, overarm because I couldn't get my head under the water because I had the goggles on. So it was another disastrous session. Then we decided, you know, if we're going to do this, you know, let's do it, but let's do it properly. So we went and seen a guy called Malcolm and Nuki who owns Snug Wetsuits and he custom tailored me and Ben a wetsuit, he took all our measurements, mm -hmm everything he needed. He built both of us wetsuits from scratch, um, which which fit unbelievably well. And I've never, it's like having a second skin. Mm. And now when I get in the water, it's, it, a little bit gets in, yeah. but I'm not cold. Do you know what I mean? So that, that issue is eliminated. And a bit more buoyancy and- Right. But the problem we had, where I said just now in a, in a freshwater pool, I would sink in the sea with a wetsuit on, I was too buoyant. Ah. And I couldn't get under the water enough to, to move. So then we had this other problem of 
relearning again for the third time how to swim, but now in the sea, developing a new custom stroke. Yeah. So I tried doing breaststroke, which I can do, a, a modified version of that I do, but because of the buoyancy, my back and neck just arched like a banana. Mm. So that was a no-go. So we developed like a... Ben said it's like the US Navy SEALs do it. They yeah. sit on their side and they skull. So we did that. And like then we lifeguards just... lifeguards are on toes. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. And so then we just, we worked on overarm <laughs> and, and sculling for rest and all that lot. And we, we figured it out. And we, we've done four training sessions. And I'll, I'll be honest, they've, they've all been pretty awful in terms of weather. Like Tuesday, it yeah. was hammering down with rain. There was mist. The, you couldn't see anything under the water. The current, that there were like three of them came together at one point and just created this horrible current and tide that was just like swimming in treacle. Um, but we, we managed 650 meters that day. And, and tomorrow we're going for 1K. We're gonna go from a place called Drake's Island, um, which is pretty famous down here. We're gonna swim into Firestone Bay, which is about 800 meters. And then we're gonna go back around some of the boys that we've been training on just to make up that 200 yeah. and then in and finish for the day. So- Brilliant, mate. From what I hear, the weather tomorrow is like it is today, which there's not a cloud in the sky. It's I think 20 degrees outside. There's no chop in the water. It's calm and glassy. If that's the case, then I'm laughing. Mm. You know what I mean? Because I've not swam in those conditions yet. They've always been rough. So I'm hoping that's going to help. Um, and there's so much, like this week's been like a blur to me. Like phones going off, emails. With We've got the fire brigade there. We've got a friend who's got a jet ski company. They're coming on jet skis. The Royal Marines are coming on raiding crafts. The guy that owns the island is, is going to come down in his boat. The harbour master's coming down. We've got Royal Marines veterans that do gig rowing coming down. We've got people on kayaks. These are all just in the water. Then we got the whole car park. The, the cafe owner has opened up super early tomorrow morning. He's going to let everyone park in there. The car park's going to be full of people. It's just gone crazy. Wow. Like, absolutely crazy. Hey, you're an absolute inspiration. Like, I wonder... Do you acknowledge that about yourself? I mean, obviously the, the support's nice and it's nice to see everyone come together, but do, mm. you, do you acknowledge that about yourself and what you achieve and, and how you make other people feel? I, I don't think so. Mm. And, I, and I think I know why. Because, you know, I joined the Royal Marines when I was 17 and I've constantly been surrounded by people that operate at the highest level. And I, and I always like to try and bully my way into those circles. I like to be the lowest level operator in, mm. the, in a room so that I get dragged up to perform better. Yeah. And because I've always put myself in a position where people around me are better than me at things. So I do jujitsu and you know, I train one-on-one -on -one with black belt. I know I'm gonna get my ass kicked all the time. I go up more swimming. I go with Ben and his group where we're killing it every week mm. because I want to drag myself up organically to be close to where they are. Yeah. So I'm always around people that are operating at a high level. And it, so now it just kind of feels like normal, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, well there's the concept of never being the smartest in the room or, or right, if you're right. doing physical endeavors, never being the, the most talented in the room because mm -hmm. you, you get the ability to be exposed to people and grow mm -hmm. yourself, yeah. which I think is great. But I, you know, I think it's important for you to acknowledge that because what you do is incredible, mate. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, I get a bit embarrassed when people say stuff like that because mm -hmm. I literally am just doing Things that I enjoy, yeah. You know, I, I love the training that lead up to these things because 
I'm pushing myself to do things that I've not done before and I'm discovering things about my body and my mind that I wouldn't have had mm-hmm. I not done them. And I, and I enjoy it. So it feels a little bit selfish. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm constantly trying to improve myself. And in the process, we're doing these events, which is hopefully helping other people. So it's, it, I just feel like I'm living my life mm. and loving it. It's so important. Mm. I see even that is inspiring in itself. I think I'm so pleased I came down here to do this in person, by the way. Okay. Because I think it, I, I love doing the podcast and remote is great and everything else, but like it just, it is just a different feel. So I'm really pleased that we do it face to face. But I understand what you mean about being selfish because I'm the same. I've traveled down here away from my family and mm-hmm. that's like a selfish thing to do just right. because I love it mm. and it's fun. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Um, so this podcast is called Take Flight. It's about performance, face mm-hmm. value, but this season we're theming life lessons. Okay. So we've had life lessons from a brain surgeon, life lessons from a championship boxer and all these sorts of things, like people who have experienced things that not everyone is going to experience. Mm-hmm. So of course, with your story, I'd love to hear about the life lessons you've learned with what you've been through. So if we give the te- context at the beginning, mm-hmm. which is you went into the military, you said you went to the Marines at 17 years mm-hmm. old. Um, also had Aldo Kane on, who's a friend of mine. Okay, Do you yeah. know Aldo? Yeah, we've not met face to face, but okay. I know him, yeah. We've yeah, got a lot of mutual like, friends. Yeah, just a legend. And it's interesting, you're saying about that, how you like to be at the the back of the the group. Mm. Like That's kind of always been the, the message from the people I've met from the military is, you're never at the front. Don't make sure mm. you don't get yourself mm-hmm. at the front because that's, that's bad news. Yeah. Be, you're, you're exposing yourself. So be somewhere in the middle or towards the back and yeah, you're yeah, all right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, mate, I'd, I'd love to hear about your journey into the Marines, why you went into it uh, in the first place. So growing up, I, I grew up not far from here, a place called Pennycombe Quick by the, the train station in the city centre. And all of my friends that lived around my area that I went to school with, were like two or three years older than me. So as I was coming to the end of my compulsory education, they had already left, right? And they were out doing whatever it was they were doing. But a couple of them had joined the army and they were based in Germany and, you know, up north, you know, in Plymouth's a tiny city, mm-hmm. you know, when you're 15, 16, whatever it is, you probably never left it, right? It's all you really know. So my friends had gone off working in different parts of the country, different parts of the world. And the ones in the army would always come home on leave. And to me, it seemed like they always had money in the bank. They always had new cars. They were always going out on the beer. They were always talking about, yeah, we did this fitness test and that fitness test. And we spent a day shooting this weapon and that weapon. Then we were driving tanks. And I'm like, that sounds like a good job. I, I think I could do that. So when I was coming to do my GCSEs and that, that time comes where you're like, right, what am I going to do? Go to college or go to, to work? The short version is I decided I was going to leave and join the military now Plymouth is a very big military city Mm. there's navy army royal marines I don't don't think we have any air force reserve bases or anything like that here but all I knew was that if you wanted to be a soldier you joined the army right if you wanted to wear a uniform carry a gun and, and you know do that kind of stuff you joined the army and all my friends that had left them were in the military had gone in the army. So I went to the career center and I applied to join the army. Now I was only 15 at the time. So I had to take the paperwork back to my parents, tell them what I wanted to do, get them to sign it so I could move on to the next phase. I was trying to be proactive so that when I finished school, I would slot right in and get going on training. And then my dad told me I had an uncle who was a Royal Marine. He had started as a Marine, which is our equivalent of private, bottom of the ladder. 
and he had spent 22 years, he climbed the ladder and he left as a captain. And he only lives in Buckfast Lee, which is like 17, 18 miles away from here. So we went up to see him on the weekends and he talked to me about his career and, and life in the military. He, he told me how the, the Royal Marines were different from the army and the kind of things that they did and where they operated and all this kind of stuff. And I went back to the career center the following week, spoke to the Royal Marines recruiter, and he put the old dusty VHS cassette in that TV yeah. video combi thing. And I just, my jaw hit the floor. You know what I mean? These guys were, they were jumping out of planes. They were skiing into combat. They were going on speedboats up beaches. They had these big packs on their back. They're in the jungle, the desert, the Arctic, everywhere. And I'm like, damn, these guys do it all. That's what I want to do. So I got the paperwork, uh, took it back, got it signed, handed it in, finished school. Then I got invited to do, you have to do a, th they don't do it anymore, but it used to be a three-day course called the Potential War Marines course where you just get hammered. Mm -hmm. And they just, it's an opportunity, I think, for you to decide if it's really the career you want and them to decide if you're ready or not to progress. So I went and did that and was fortunate enough to pass first time, came home, had a training program that they wrote me, started working through it sheet by sheet, day by day. Then got the call to come and start training in February 2001 when I was 17. Mm. Packed my bags, walked 200 meters to the train station, got on a train, and that was it. Headed to Limpston, which is just, it's only 45 minutes away from here. And there I was, 17 years old, away from home for the first real time, about to embark on this, you know, at the time, back then it was 30 weeks training. I think it's a little bit more now. Um, about to start this new adventure, mm. you know, and see if I had what it took to become a Royal Marines commander. What what does it take to be a Royal Marines commander? Like what, what are the qualities of a good Royal Marine commander? So we, we have like, um, it's plastered off all over the, the gyms and everything, you know, cheerfulness in the face of yep. adversity, courage, determination, unselfishness. You know, that kind of stuff. Do you think you had some of those qualities before you got in? That's why they, that's why you got in or? A little bit, mm. but I think they massively bring them out of you. And the ones that fail are the ones that, not all of them, but the majority of them, the ones that fail are the ones that don't have those qualities. Yeah. You know, things like unselfishness. Yeah. If you're just all about you, you know, when you're tired, hungry, sleep deprived and everything, and all you focus on is you instead of your mates, you're not going to make it. Mm. And if you do, you're going to be very unpopular. You know, because it's all about looking after the bloke to your left and to your right. So they definitely bring that out of you. And how, how do they teach that? Because I think there's a maybe a misconception. Love to hear your thoughts mm -hmm. on the military barking at you in order to force mm -hmm. you to behave in a certain way. Right. But is that always the case? Or I think that was a very, very long time ago. Okay. Uh, and from what I've seen recently, because I've only just left, actually spending 10 years working with the Royal Marines charity. So I've been in that area as a civilian. It's a very, very much more coaching focused approach mm. now where, like you said, back in the day, if you couldn't get up the rope or you couldn't make the march, they would shout and scream at you and, and, and bore you out. But now it's more of a, right, let's do it again. This is the technique for climbing the rope. Mm. This hand over this hand, use your legs, pull a grip up, pull your body up, and they'll coach you through it. And from what I've seen, and, and I mean this with all respect to my generation, generations before, they churn out a better product at the end. Mm. 
you know, because I had this conversation with a friend of mine who's still in as a physical training instructor. And we both agreed that when we had finished training, if you had asked us to do something very basic, like lead a section attack, we wouldn't know how to do it because all our time was spent just thrashing us, making mm. us want to quit. Whereas now the guys come out as Marines, so privates, they're capable of doing the job the next level up because they've got so much more knowledge because they've been coached better, mm. you know? So they've, I think from what I've seen, they've massively changed the approach yeah. and it's for the better. Yeah. Mm. Is that like a, a group coaching session or do they do like one-to-one -one setting or? I think it's generally one-to-one. -one. So if, if someone's struggling with something, like I was on the bottom field once uh, with this guy I was talking about and the recruits were doing things called regains, right? So there's this big tank of water and there's, there are three ropes above it. And you go on your belly, you pull yourself into the middle, you dangle, you've got all your kit on, your weapon, your webbing, and you've got to then get back up onto the rope and then finish the climb. And there's a very specific technique to do it that they teach you. It's all about technique, not strength. If you do, try it on strength, your arms will blow out and you fall into the water. Mm -hmm. And this guy fell in the water. And I, I kind of nudged my mate and I said, here we go, here we go, thinking this guy's the Pete, the physical training instructor is going to take him off to the side and just rip him a new one. And he took him off to the side. He went, right, what did you do wrong? He went, right, next time you go up, I want to see you do this, this, listen to what I tell you, right? Don't panic. Do exactly what I tell you and you'll do it. And he went, yes, corporal. And he ran back to the ladder, climbed up, got on the rope, went to the middle, hung off the thing. The PTI at the bottom was like, right, now do this, do this, do this, don't panic, do what we said, do it, and did it even though he was more fatigued than the mm. first time he fell in because he listened and he was coached. He achieved it. And I, I just watched that and I'm like, wow. You know, I mean, back in my day, they would have just, they would have put every single person in that tank, in that water. They would have left you in there for an hour <laughs> until your skin went wrinkly. And, you know, then they would have had you doing press-ups and throwing you in the mud. And I'm sure that still goes on to yeah. a degree. But the coaching's got so much better. Mate, that's, it's so good to hear. Like as a coach, someone who works with people one-to-one -one and mm. tried to do that with people. Like there's a, there's a guy called Timothy Galway. He's like one of the founding fathers of coaching. Okay. Wrote a book called The Inner Game of Tennis, which is, he was a tennis coach originally before mm -hmm. he stepped into the kind of life coaching, exec coaching kind of world. And it was all about that. It was about telling a tennis player to feel the difference and consider parts of the body and the movements or the techniques in this case that mm -hmm. you've just given, rather than just like shouting orders, because that's from the coach's perspective or whoever shouting the orders is their own perspective and their own opinion of what's happening versus the actual person doing the action. Mm. It's just, it, it can't always relate. It can't always land with them in the same way as mm. what the coach or the person giving the advice is saying. Whereas mm. if you dial that back and you start to talk about techniques and movements mm. and things to consider, like think about where the arm is, think about whatever's happening. There's definitely in the military, in my opinion, a time and a place for screaming at people and, and thrashing them, mm. you know, if you're on a rifle range and someone's not safe, right, and they could potentially injure somebody or kill, then it's time to take off the silencer, scream and throw them up and down a mountain until they, you know, can't do any more because that's dangerous, mm. right? And then in real life situations, if you become lackadaisical with your weapon handling drills or just just anything in that area when it comes to weaponry and something that that's dangerous, when you're in a combat situation, if you haven't learned those lessons in a safe environment, then you're going to be a danger to people around you. Mm. So there's definitely a time and a place, I think, for bawling people out and screaming at them and hammering them. Um, but yeah, it, it's just it just looks so much better now. I'd, I'd still I'd love to be a young recruit right yeah. now, yeah. especially with the kit and equipment they got. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, you obviously went through your period of doing that though. Mm. Had all the training, everything else. Went on your tours. 
So I think that a lot of the stuff I want to ask you is is post what happened in 2007, okay. but obviously I'm, I'm really keen to hear your words, your version of what happened on that day. So set some context up for some of the later questions that are going to come up. Okay, so... I'm just trying to... Bit, I, 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 I suppose a bit of guidance was like, so you went to, it was Afghanistan. Yeah. In 2007, you'd already done tours in Iraq. I'd done right. Iraq when I was 19. I'd trained in Norway twice, a um, couple of exercises down in America and that kind of stuff. I left briefly in 2006 when my daughter was born and retrained as a bodyguard. Failed massively as a civilian and went back into the Marines in 2007. And then I deployed to Afghanistan in September 2007 for a six-month tour. Mm -hmm. Halfway through the tour on Christmas Eve 2007, myself and a handful of my friends were briefed on a routine foot patrol that we were going to conduct. We went back, got all our kit and equipment ready like we had been doing in all the patrols and everything we'd done to that point. We left on the patrol. It was a very, very basic like low level thing. And then on the way back into camp, just as we were finishing up about 200 meters from the gate, I stood on and detonated an improvised explosive device, which ripped off both my legs above the knee and my right arm above the elbow. So I've had better Christmases, if, I, if I'm honest. <laughs> it did get me home though for Christmas day. I arrived back in the UK in Birmingham in Sally Oak Hospital about four o'clock in the morning on Christmas Day. And then went on this long roller coaster ride of recovery. You know, mm. trying to trying to regain my independence and claw parts of my life back. Yeah. Mm. So when you stood on the IED, mm -hmm. could you explain a little bit more about what happened? Are you you kind of with us, some of your squad members? Mm -hmm. And then <clears throat> in, in your words, obviously I'll, I'll let you tell the story of it. So I detonate this improvised explosive device, right? And you've got to imagine the terrain in Afghanistan. Okay, it's very sandy, very dusty and dry. So when this device exploded, it created a huge dust cloud. Right? So temporarily, I was blinded. I couldn't see what was going on. And I was in no pain. I had no idea what I'd done. You've got to imagine my fight and flight responses kicked in. My adrenaline spiked. Everything outside of me was in slow motion, but everything inside was like a thousand miles an hour. So I couldn't see anything. I could hear the rest of my, my team shouting and calling each other, trying to figure out what had gone on. But my instinct was that we'd been attacked. We were on this really, really high piece of ground, right? Which meant that it would be the only way you could attack us would be with a mortar or a rocket, unless you're gonna drop something from the sky, but they didn't have that capability. So I thought someone's rocketed us or someone's mortared us and it's gone off, this, this explosion's gone off close by because I was in no pain. I didn't know what I had done. And that's why this dust cloud's here and why I can't see and why everyone's panicking. So I need to ID where the threat is, start shooting and then try and make some sort of tactical withdrawal so we can get to a better position of cover and then neutralize the threat. Mm. Now, from where I was on this high feature, I knew that about 600 meters behind me, down beneath us, was a small rectangular forestry block. And everything else around there 
was just plowed like mud fields or all, all flat. So with all this chaos going on, I'm thinking it's in, it's in the forestry block. That's the only place anyone with any common sense will, will attack us because we won't be able to see them and they can scoot off really quickly and it's going to be hard for us to find them and get them. So in my mind, I was saying to myself, turn around, turn around, Mark, turn around, ID the target, start shooting, everyone else will start shooting and then we can get out of there and figure out what we're going to do. Now, I can't see anything because of this dust cloud. Like I said, it's, everything's in slow motion. There's a million things going through my mind in a very short space of time. But outside, everything's in slow-mo. So I'm trying to turn around and I'm saying to myself, turn around, turn around, turn around. And after like four times of saying it, even though I couldn't see anything, I, I knew that my body wasn't doing what I was telling it to do and I couldn't figure out why. So I thought, okay, I need to see what's going on here assess the situation and make some decisions. So I waited for the dust cloud to sell and, and it, it, it was almost in slow motion. It, it started to become clearer. I could see stuff, got to about chest height and I started looking around trying to see where the rest of my team were. I was panicking, hoping that none of them had been hurt or killed. Couldn't see any of them. So I carried on waiting and then the dust cloud got to about six inches from the floor, hit the ground and disappeared. And when it did, I looked down to to where my legs should have been and they both of them had just been completely ripped off like from the knees down. Um, I say from the knees down, if you, if you imagine, you know, one of those posters of the human body mm. and you can see the bone and then it's got the muscle layer on top. So literally at my knee joints, one of the knees was still attached. You could It looked like you could just snap it off like a chicken bone. Like all the flesh and everything around it, the, the, the heat must have been so much, it was like it was clean melted off the bone and the bone was just clean, but just covered in dirt and, and dust and stuff. And then my other leg was completely destroyed. It was just muscle and flesh and, and gunk hanging out of it. And uh, a couple of seconds later, as I was just trying to, make sense of everything and, and figure out what was going on. Cause you, you can't really compute it and process it. Your brain, cause there's no pain either. So you, you're like, this doesn't make sense. Like my eyes are looking at something that I don't believe is real. I'm not in pain, which must mean it's not real. What's going on? Am I asleep? Am I dreaming? What What is going on? I had no idea. And then as I was looking around, I saw my arm like lying in the ground. It was still attached from my bicep to my wrist but it, it had been completely torn open. The bone had gone. It had just been shattered into a thousand pieces. And uh, I picked my hand up. I, I don't know why. I just kind of grabbed what was left of my hand. I picked it up. My arm just flopped. Kind of like, if you imagine, I don't know, like a carrier bag with water in it. It was just like floppy and just useless. And I just, I dropped my hand into the sand as I kind of realized everything kind of came rushing in at once. Like, this is what's happened. You haven't been attacked. You're the idiot that stood on the IED. This is what's happened. You're probably going to die. So I dropped my hand into the, into the sand and just screamed, just like frustration. Uh, just, you know, anger, frustration, guilt, you know, all these just crazy emotions came flooding in, in one hit. And I'm like, this is me, 24 years old you know, I'm done. And uh, obviously I wasn't, I survived it, <laughs> but yeah, it, it was crazy. You go through a lot of, 
I hope I'm explaining it right in what I'm saying is that in your mind, everything's at a thousand mile an hour. So as I'm saying things like I felt anger and guilt and I think about the thoughts that were going through my head, this it was split seconds. Like, it seems like I was sat there for like five minutes contemplating the universe. I wasn't. It's all these things are going at a thousand mile an hour in my head, like guilt, anger, embarrassment, shame. You're the idiot that's that's done the stood on this IED and you put your friend's life in danger now. If you survive, you've got a little girl at home, she's not going to want to be with you because you're going to be a freak in a wheelchair. And, you know, all in like probably two seconds max, like this massive rush of all these feelings and emotions that you wouldn't expect. There's no fear, no panic, no worry of dying. I didn't care about any of that stuff. I, I knew subconsciously that I was going to be okay because of the men that I was with because they were so professional. I knew they knew exactly what they were doing. They would do whatever it took to get me out. There was a lot of blood and, and claret coming out, but I, I just knew that was gonna be fine. You, you went deeply down, you, you felt you were gonna survive. It, literally in the back of my mind, I, I took my helmet off and I threw it over and I had the sun beating on my face and I just pretended I was on a beach in Spain and I was just waiting for the lads to, to hurry up and get me. You know what I mean? It was just, it just it was, to me, it just felt like you know I'd fallen over and broken my leg. I'm like, hurry up, lads, come and get me in a stretcher. Let's go. You know, we got stuff to do. I just never, I knew they'd never let me down. You know what I mean? They'd do whatever it took. What, what stopped you from allowing panic to set in? Because that sounds like a very conscious thought to go. I'm just going to imagine that I'm on a beach, take myself somewhere mm. else. Like, what stopped you from panicking in that situation? I, I don't know. It's bizarre. It like, I, I died shortly after. And <laughs> that's crazy. It's it's like this is what's crazy. It's the most relaxed and at peace I think I've ever felt in my life. I just thought to myself, I, I, this is honourable to me. Do you know what I mean? I've I've come here as a as a young soldier. I'm trying to stop bad people to do bad things and and help good people to do good things. I'm gonna I'm probably gonna die in the process, but that's honourable for me. Do you know what I mean? And and I'm, I was happy with that. So I thought if I die now, happy days. Do you know what I mean? My daughter should be proud of me when she grows up. She'll know that I was doing a good thing. Um, friends and family would be proud. And that's all you can ask for. But I just I just knew that I was going to be okay. You know what I mean? And, you know, I was. They got me out of that minefield pretty quickly. They got me on the back of the helicopter. That's when I died. Um, and then they just through sheer courage and I think a lot of luck brought me back to life um, doing what they do best these medics are phenomenal and they, they they got to work on me sorted it out got fluids in me brought me back and then uh, so fascinating to hear when you say uh, thank god they did by the way mm. <laughs> thank god they did but when you say that it was the most peaceful you ever felt mm. I wonder whether that's because we spend so much time worrying about the bad things that could happen to us the worst case scenario. I was yeah. talking about this the other day, like 98% of what we worry about never comes to fruition. Mm -hmm. But in that situation, something beyond your imagination happened to you that was bad. Mm -hmm. It can't get any worse. I suppose right. there's an element of just, that, that I can only imagine, but the peace just came from knowing, well, something bad's happened here. Mm -hmm. It's actually happened. I'm mm -hmm. not imagining something, not creating something in my mind anymore. Like something's actually happened here. Mm -hmm. And then you have the trust in the people around you to mm -hmm. help you figure it out. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And this, this might be a bit off topic, but for anyone that's interested, <laughs> like what it felt like for me to die 
there or get as close as you can. It was no different to like when you're extremely tired. It, it was because it was like extremely, extremely tired, like drained, exhausted, can't keep your eyes open. But it, it just felt like you were falling asleep on a Sunday afternoon after a roast dinner, having a nap on the sofa. Calm, peaceful, fulfilled, just really tired. Going to close my eyes now, only this time they won't open again. That's literally what I was thinking. So you, you have literally experienced death. Uh-huh. Did anything happen? Did you meet God? No, I didn't. No, I did not. And th th that's literally what it was. It was like, right, I'm really tired now, lads. I'm going to have a nap, all right, because I'm exhausted. Just, you know, wake me up in 15 minutes type thing, like you would when you had a nap. And I just thought to myself, this time I might not wake up. But I did three days later in a hospital in Birmingham, huh. you know, after emergency surgery in a tent in Afghanistan, tidying everything up because it was a mess they flew me home and uh woke up on the 28th of december mm. i used to work for johnson and johnson so i know they had that's the like the trauma cases in birmingham isn't it the specialist hospital right yeah yeah, yeah. they yeah. do amazing work yeah the, the hospital that i was in is closed now it was quite an old one but they built a brand new okay. the queen elizabeth right next yeah. door about a mile away yeah, yeah um but yeah i mean the care that i received was phenomenal you know what i mean i, I didn't need anything i ne never needed to ask for anything the, the royal marines and, and the staff at the hospital were just phenomenal for me and my mm. family which made recovery especially in the early days uh, really easy not mm. really easy but a lot easier than it than it could have been yeah mm. wow unbelievable thanks for sharing it mate i wonder did, does it does it get easier every time you share the story or do you get bored of sharing the story or or how do you feel about it when you talk about it um it doesn't bother me if that's what you mean. I don't like, I don't get all twitchy and worried. Mm. And, and no, you're so just, calm here. Yeah, man. I just, I don't know what it is. I think because I remember it, that helped me to deal with it. I know a lot of guys when they're in explosions, they'll get knocked out and they don't remember it and mm. it comes back later. Um, I've got no issues talking about it. And, and it, I, I mean this in the nicest possible way. I, I, have got a little bit bored talking about it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like, assume. I've told this story a million times, <laughs> um, but it, it never never gets hard. You know what I mean? I'm not bothered about it at all. So how many people can ask me what an idea is? <laughs> right, right. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, if, if, it, if it helps and, and puts things into perspective for people on that, then yeah. happy days. Yeah, well, I think that what you have is an ability to share something that many people won't experience, which is death, number mm. one, but also extreme trauma. Right. And a lot of us walk around, as I was saying before, worried about things that might happen to us mm -hmm. and they never happen. But you've experienced something mm -hmm. and come back to, to survive and, and go far beyond anyone's expectations and continue to push what you're able to do, which is why at the beginning I said you're such an inspiration. Yeah, but, you know, one of the, you said something earlier about like lessons that people have learned and, and what they share. You know, I think one of the biggest things for me is, I, I said I always like to be in, an environment where I'm the dumbest person there, right? And I'm the least qualified, so I, I get better. But I also always surround myself in, in a different context with incredible people that help and support me. Do you know what I mean? And, mm. and that's the key, I think. Yeah. Like this thing tomorrow, this swim, the run, you know, when I competed in the Evictus Games, Ben was my coach for all of that, right? And, and his level of skill, knowledge, expertise, dedication, passion, commitment, 
All, all I have to do is turn up. Tomorrow, mm. all I've got to do is turn up and swim in a straight line. That's it. I've got the easy part. He's the one who sat down and worked out what I need to eat, when I need to rest, what I need to train, on what day, when the tides are, where the safety boats are, everything. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And, and almost to the point where I feel guilty because I'm the one in front of the camera getting all the glory and all the guys that I work with, not just in, in this endeavor, but anything, whether it's business or whatever, they're the ones behind the scenes doing all the hard work. And I'm just the face in front of the camera. So you've got to get around real good people. Do you know what I mean? That are going to help you, that are on of a similar mindset, on a similar mission, that get you. Do you know what I mean? And, and they, their, their skill set complements your skill set. And where you lack, they don't. And, mm. and you kind of complement each other. And, and that's how all these things are possible. Yeah, that's so good to hear. I think from something I've struggled with myself is that there's an incredible amount of vulnerability when you do that, when you rely on someone. And I wonder whether right. that's your military experience, which has helped you to do that. Because, you know, I feel like trust and relying on people, uh, you know, then, then you have expectations of people and if they let you down and mm -hmm. it's really, you know, a lot of people, myself included, will just try and take it all on themselves. But right. it doesn't work by yourself. It can't. And this is not straightforward because that, that vulnerability has bit me in the ass a lot of times. Mm. You know, I, I have been, I'm not going to go into sob story mode, but I have had my pants pulled down numerous times by lots of people during this journey. You know, when I've, I've done that exact thing, you know, I'm going like, right, let's, let's do this. Yeah, 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 we got you, Mark, we got you. And then they rip you off or whatever it is and take mm. you for the money or, or whatever, whatever it is, you know what I mean? But it's kind of like, I guess, when you're a kid and you get your first girlfriend, you've got to go through the bad ones, aren't you? Until you can find the good ones. And then they're all lessons. Yeah. And as long as you understand that and you don't get too bent out of shape, you know, even, you know, God, it's got to be 60, 70 grand people have, have done me over for so far um, in endeavors where I've just been trying to either better myself or help other people. And in the moment you get angry, but then you're like, right, draw a line under it focus on on you and your thing and let them do their thing because they've shown their colors now and that's that they're short-term thinkers and they'll always be in this continuous loop of what can i get now what can i get now what can i get now where i'm like what can i get long term and who can i take with me mm. right and you've got to get rid of the bad ones and you experience them until you find the good ones and when you get the good ones don't let them go mm. do you know what i mean like <laughs> just keep on to them and even if it's a thing where to a degree, the value exchange doesn't feel fair. Like, so Ben, he's never charged me a penny for training me. He lets me use his gym for free. He lets me get my post sent there when people want to send me things. <laughs> he lets me use his office, right? So the value exchange isn't free. But then every once in a while, when something, some sort of, I get some sort of park, you know, I'll, I'll lash him up. Or, you know, right now his gym's just open. Then he's trying to get a certain amount of members. So I'll do what I can through like, social media to, to drive people to his gym. Is Ben reorg? Is that what No, is? no, so that's Sam. That's okay, so it's ben, different. Okay. So Sam and Ben are both former Royal Marines PTIs. Okay. Sam is the founder of reorg. Ben is the founder of Pantheon Plymouth, the gym okay. and my yeah. coach. Yeah, okay. But Sam is my jujitsu coach. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I mean though. So this Great is what I'm people. saying. I've got high level people coaching me all over the mm. place. Former Royal Marines. These are not just coaches. These are people that have been through it themselves. They've pushed their own body and minds to the limit. They've then taken civilians and molded them into elite soldiers. I mean, that's the ultimate testimonial there in itself. Then they've gone off and got degrees and this, that, and the other. And, you know, Sam's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You know, he's put all the, the hard work and effort into doing that. 
Ben has strength and conditioning degrees. He's a high-level CrossFit athlete. There's, so they're the best people mm. in the world that I can learn from. I see you, you know train I mean? with um, Tom Hardy as well. It really, yeah. yeah, yeah, another high-level bloke, yeah. world-famous athlete. He's a blue belt as well in jiu-jitsu. Mm. We train together. Do you know what I mean? It's it's, yeah. it's awesome. It's just having great people. I, I, as soon as you're saying that, I can think of all the great people in my life now that I'm like, right. I need to keep hold of them because I have the yeah. same thing as you, you know, great people that I can trust. Um, people think I'm ruthless, right? And, and it, you build calluses up to these these bad people, right? And, and I've had this conversation with my daughter. She's She finishes school tomorrow. She's 16 now. And, you know, going through school as a young girl, it must be horrible. Like the, the bitchiness and everything. And I've said to her, I have these conversations with her about getting around good people. And I said, look, I know you're only 16, right? And what I'm saying, it's not as black and white for you as it is for me. But if someone burns you, doesn't show you, you know, the respect you deserve, doesn't value you, just get rid of them. Yeah. Just get rid of them. Or if you can't, limit the time you spend with them, right? Just vastly reduce that time you spend with them. Do you know what I mean? Be mm -hmm. Don't respect yourself enough to know that you deserve people that, want to be around you and want to add to your life not yeah. take from it all the time so i'm pretty advice. ruthless now like if you come into my, my life and you burn me even once you're gone hmm. like and it sounds arrogant it sounds rude whatever, I, I don't have the time to waste on that stuff and I'm, I'm building and building and building i want to take our whole squad with me to the top and just enjoy it hmm. you know yeah it's so good and you know what often those people with the short-term mentality that you spoke about are coming from a place of lack Mm. They feel that they lack, so mm -hmm. they can't give their resource, time, effort, energy, knowledge to anybody else. Mm -hmm. They just want to take from people because they're like, oh, I don't quite have enough. Let me just get this, get this, get this. And that's just, be it's a very selfish mindset. Right. And interesting you're saying the commando spirit is mm. unselfishness, one of, the, right. one of the things. Yeah. Um, Something I wanted to ask you, Mark, was, and this came off the back of a conversation I had with a brain surgeon two weeks ago. We were, we were talking about self like understanding self. And when we think about who we are as people and our identity, we have certain beliefs about who we are or philosophies about how the world is. So as an example, like you might think I'm confident or I am positive or, you know, if you think about physical traits, you could say that I'm strong or I'm good at a sport or whatever. And I, and I just wondered this when I was thinking about your story that one of our unconscious beliefs about self is that I am a human being. Mm -hmm. obvious one but then i have arms i have legs so how did you cope when you woke up in the hospital with that sense of self i, I don't know whether this is completely making sense but the sense of self of like because because suddenly your entire perception of what your life was going to be ahead of you changed mm -hmm. so like how did you address that like wake up to that and and even just cope with the fact that the whole script was going to be rewritten so here's the thing as well, right? So I was 24 years old when I got injured. I was an elite soldier. You know what I mean? I was, I was a commando. I was a competitive full contact kickboxer, Muay Thai fighter and a boxer. So my heart, my entire identity was wrapped up in, in that kind of stuff. What you need arms and legs for <laughs> to do. Yeah. And so I, I remember that was the, like the first thing that I asked my surgeon. I'm like, when I, if, if I get fake legs, can I still kickbox? And he was trying to manage my expectations, you know, dodging the question, oh, I'm not sure, I'm not an expert type thing. You know, it just gave me a little bit of hope. But then as the days rolled on, I started to realize, nah, it's over. Do you know what I mean? You can't do that anymore. That part of your identity is gone. 
And there was a bit of a point during my recovery within the first four weeks where I had that shift. And I'll give you the, I'll give you the short version of this. In fact, there isn't a short one. You're going to have to buckle up for this one. <laughs> Please. But in, in the first couple of years of my career, I, I got in a bit of trouble, quite a lot of trouble for just doing, being a young, energetic guy, you know, drinking, fighting. I was getting charged by the unit regimental sergeant major. And I walked in his office one day to get charged and I'd cut the lining out my berry because it shaped better and he could see it. It was like his pet hate. So he said, take your berry off. So he went, right. You've got an hour to go get another berry, get it shaped, get back to me now or you're in the shit. Right? So I ran off, got another berry and he took mine and he pinned it to his notice board. Now, when I was in hospital, he was then the core regimental sergeant major. So each unit will have a regimental sergeant major. Then the whole of the Marine Corps will have a, a regimental sergeant. And then the brigade will have one. And then you, you get a NATO on it. So he's very, very senior, very high ranking. He came to visit me and he brought me a berry, Right? And it blew me away. I'm like, how do you remember that? Mm. I was two years into my career. I was a gobshite sprog marine. You were the RSM, but you probably charged loads of people. I was nothing to him. I was like not even a blip on his radar, but he remembered. And he came all the way from Plymouth to Birmingham. And he went, this is that berry that I took off. Not the same one, but right. he bought another one. And it blew me away. And so I sat there thinking after they left about, the Royal Marines, right? And what they were, that meant so much to me. I, I thought, this is what we're about. Do you know what I mean? Rank, yeah, it's important. Of course it is, but you've just transcended that. You've crossed that line of rank there. It doesn't matter. In that moment, it didn't matter. We were two men with similar experiences and he just showed me that level of respect, which was, it just blew me away. And I started thinking about the Marines and we were, I think, 347 years old at that point. And I remember thinking, I've never heard, seen, or read about anyone in the Royal Marines who was remembered for quitting. Do you know what I mean? They've all, it's all like this extremely elite history, gallantry medals, stories of bravery. And I was like, I'm not going to be that guy. It, you know, I don't have the physical capacity anymore, but one of the things that all the advertising campaigns is 99.99% not apply. It's a mindset. And I'm like, right, I don't have the legs. I don't have the arm. I've still got the mindset though. Mm. So let me apply that mindset to my rehab. And I'm still a Royal Marine. I've still have to uphold those standards, those morals and those values. I'm just going to do it now in the rehab arena. And then later on into my civilian career. So it was like that switch after that meeting. I'm like, you still represent the Royal Marines. Do you know what I mean? You can't quit. You can't drop your standards. You've still got to show up every day, put in 110%, operate at the highest level. Only now you're not carrying a gun, you're carrying prosthetic limbs. Do you know what I mean? And just show everybody what we're about. And that was the shift. I went from being all about physicality and kickboxing and being a Marine and to mindset. Do you know what I mean? I'll, I'll do it. Whatever it is, let me know and I'll do it. And... That was a journey because it started off of everything was brute force and ignorance, right? I've got the mindset, I'm developing the mindset, but still give me the legs and I'll just keep on walking. I don't care. Mm -hmm. And now more recently, I've, I, I'm understanding the power of, and I think it's since I started training jujitsu, the power of technique over strength. You know what I mean? And as I'm getting older as well, and you know, your testosterone drops off and you can't be as strong as you were. That mindset coupled with, 
techniques. So now instead of just grizzing out walks for ages, I'm like, well, this would be a lot easier if I just understand the most energy efficient way to do it. Like with swimming, you know, I got in the swimming pool a couple of weeks ago and I was just like, arr, 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 as fast as I could, did 20 meters and couldn't breathe. Yeah. Now I'm banging out 600 meters in the sea because I'm like, I'm cool, I'm calm, I've got the right technique. I'm not racing. You know, if I go, I think Ben says, slow is smooth and smooth is fast mm. when it comes to swimming. Yeah. Um, Anything. And it was all, it all just became about mindset then and technique and looking at things with a, a grown up head on, not the old, right, just give me a brick wall. I'm going to run through it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So it. Mate, I'm, I'm honestly blown away. Like, I believe so strongly in the mindset stuff. Mm -hmm. I preach it all the time. Mm -hmm. Everyone who comes on here talks about the, the, you know, the power of mindset and how we can. You know, bring our reality into our life with the way we think and all mm -hmm. these things which I believe so much in but you just blew me away with the way that you explained it mm. because yes you lost what your perceived identity was before the accident mm -hmm. but you just had the ability to you know you still had your mind mm -hmm. and I've just and I don't know whether it just took me to hear that from you to really deeply understand that mm -hmm. on another level or not but I just mate thank you for that it's, it actually made me feel a bit emotional I was like don't fucking cry <laughs> <laughs> do you know what's exciting and equally frustrating is that everyone on the planet can do it. Uh. But I just, some don't, some don't know, some don't want to. And I just think I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole because this is, this is your show, but we're just so surrounded by negativity mm -hmm. with the media and the news and everything focuses on the bad stuff that it's people's default setting and they, they massively underestimate. They don't pick up a good book and understand what human beings are actually capable of if they focus in the right direction and the right way. You know what I mean? Literally, it's, it's cliche, but when people say, you can do anything you set your mind to, you can. Yeah. You can. If you're just like, right, that's a distraction. Go over there. I'm going this way, and this is what I want to do. What do I need to do to achieve it? Oh, I need this person, that person, this resource. If I haven't got the resource, I'll be resourceful. And we just figure out as we go. That's just a distraction. Do you know what I mean? This, I don't care what Kim Kardashian is doing. She can go and do what she wants. That's the distraction. My mindset is focused on this, you know? Yeah. Um, I just wish more people would just sit up and have confidence in themselves yeah. about that kind of stuff. I couldn't agree more, mate. So, mm. if, like, so everyone who's listening, if this is resonating with them, but they want to be able to go and actually put this into action into their life, when I say put this into it, I mean to adopt a positive mindset and, and use that to have the life that they want. You've talked there about having the people around you, mm -hmm. you know, cutting out distractions. What other things can they do like from today to start using their minds? The first thing to do, I, I would say, is to sit down and have a stock check, right? Just literally look and think what's negatively impacting my life, what's positively impacting it. Get rid of as much of the negative stuff as you can, right? And it, it it's as simple as this for me, like, you know, so I'm on social media every day, mm -hmm. right? And I understand how it can have a negative effect on my mindset. I don't watch the news. I watch cartoons with my kids instead because it puts me in a different frame of mind when I start the day. I, I customize my social media timelines. If you're on my personal Facebook and you're always whinging and moaning and you're a friend of mine, there's a little button that says unfollow. So we'll stay friends. You won't know I've unfollowed you, but I don't need to see your negative shite on my feed anymore. And all I see is my good mates like, oh yeah, positive day. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's not, I'm not talking rah, rah, but it helps. Yeah. You know, Twitter, don't want to see that, not interested. And you just push, if you see this recurring stuff come up, just get rid of it. So you, you go on your phone because we're on our phones a lot. I think my screen time thing the other day said I was on for nine hours in a day, which is a lot. So that has a massive impact on 
your mindset, your mental health, use it, mm. customize it, make it positive. You know what I mean? And that's, that's one thing that will affect you every single day. Stop watching the news in the morning. Stop, limit the negative stuff coming in and increase the positive stuff. Pick up a book. Instead of watching the celebrity housewives of Miami at nine o'clock every night, pick up a book mm. and read about self-development. Read about someone that inspires you, that's gone on to achieve great things. Because then, then your mindset opens up. You know, I, I grew up in the 90s, right? Big fan of Schwarzenegger and Stallone. If you actually read, yeah, I love their movies, but when you actually read their stories mm. and you see what they went through, back then when things were hard, they didn't have social media. They had to just go knocking on doors and just being relentless. You see what they went through to get to where they are. It's phenomenal. And I love it when people go, oh, they're ever lucky. They're not lucky. They work their asses off. And they got up, <laughs> I get up at half past five every day, whether I need to or not. And I'll be pushing it out till 10, 11 at night, yeah. mixing work with home life, school runs, bedtime. And I'll do that. And I'll get to a point soon when I, when I reach that point where I want to be at. And I'll see people going, yeah, well, you're just lucky. Mm. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm working yeah. constantly for the last 10 plus years, putting the hours in, putting the investment in, going to the courses, seminars, reading the books, networking with the right people, doing what I need to do to get myself to where I need to be. Mate, mate, like oh, that's, that's speaking to me so much right now because someone might listen to this episode, I imagine, because your story is unreal, they'll be all the way to the end of it, but they might only listen to half of it. Mm -hmm. No one knows I traveled a nine hour round trip to get here. Right, no one, right, and, right. You know, even like I think about footballers, people make a, or anyone who's in the yeah. public eye, like people make a judgment call on what they see of that person on TV. Yeah. And that's all they think about it. Even this, I think like people have a perception of me because they listen to me on the podcast. Mm -hmm but I have a whole life away from mm -hmm. this stuff where I'm not so serious as I am right now. You know what I mean? Right, like right. a lot of time people think I'm like, they want to tell me their shit and offload all their shit. And mm -hmm. that's just because they have a perception that this You're is what I talk guy. about all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And it's the same with anybody else in the public eye who's like, that's not just what they're like, but we don't have the ability to go, they're different. There's other stuff going on in their life. Yeah. They've worked their fucking ass off for two decades or whatever it is to get to where they are. Like It's why like, you have to open your mind when you see like i don't know footballers athletes celebrities in the media for you know people going oh he or she they're such an asshole or something like that right say say someone sat down having a coffee and you walk up and go can i have an autograph and, and they're just having a bad day mm. and they've got some bad news or something whatever and they were no not today mate they get straight on twitter and go oh i just bumped into so-and-so what an asshole yeah he's not an asshole he's a human being and mm. he's had a bad day and he just wanted to sit and have a coffee on his own and you've come on interrupted a day. I, i'd hate to be that to live that life do you get Every any of that what's do you that get people coming like interrupting you and chatting to you recognize you around around here because yeah. i grew up here but um and, and i'm always try to be polite yeah. you know what i mean but like people put famous people on a pedestal oh i'd love that life would you really mm. do you know what i mean would you love to be you know i'm a big fan of eminem and you listen to the lyrics of some of his songs like the guy can't go to a restaurant and sit down and have a meal with his daughter or whoever without getting harassed mm. unless it's a specialist celebrity only closed off restaurant yeah which i'm sure it's great to start yeah. with, but the novelty you wear off because I want to go to Burger King and get my t-shirt covered in ketchup and mustard <laughs> and be throwing chips at my kids without people taking pictures. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So there's a lot to be said for, you know, the peace that comes with a normal life. Mm. The, the thing that I do think about the celebrity life is that they must learn so much about life because they're put through so much. Yeah. They face a lot of adversity, mm -hmm. which is why I love speaking with people like you and other people who've just got very unique lifestyles and experiences because mm -hmm. we're not all going to be I say fortunate, but fortunate to experience like things like that. 
So those lessons must be so rich, like your ability to just flick like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it wasn't overnight, you know, there's a long process mm -hmm. to get in there, but just take that on and know that your mindset is going to be able to mm -hmm. take you forward in your life is unbelievable. But most, all of us who haven't been through that, yeah. are still here asking the questions like, how can I do this? How can I do this? So mm -hmm. I think, yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, what, what would you say is the biggest thing that that day gave you and that accident gave you? Like if you could summarize it, what would you say it gave you? perspective and i know it sounds corny but when when you die or you get as close to dying as physically possible and prior to that you've got this ego that makes you think that you're invincible and nothing can hurt you and bullets bounce off you you very quickly realize that's not the case and it just changes your, your perspective and again it sounds corny you know what i mean like you have this new appreciation for life because you understand how quickly it can end. And it is. Like, when I stood on the IED, my, my, my big thing was, and all the lads were like, you gotta be pretty dumb to stand on the IED because the terrain around us is like compact, hard sand. If someone's dug in that, it's not like the beach, right? Where you can cover it up and smooth it over. If someone's dug an IED in the ground there, you're gonna see it, right? That, that was the kind of mindset. And then I went and stood on it mm. and I'm like, what a dick. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm that guy. But then you just, you realize how quick it can change. Like I, I thought, it's just like walking down the stairs here and then the next minute, boom, like instantly, bang, changed life forever. Boom, no going back. If I'd have stepped left, if I'd have stepped right, maybe it would have been different. You know what I mean? It's just, it can change so quickly. Do you ever really. think about that if you stepped left or right or? Um... I do, I do to a degree, you know, you, you run a few scenarios over you, you don't dwell on them. Mm. But like, I, I always, whenever I went on a patrol, I, you know, people would make fun of me because I'd go out overloaded, right, with ammunition. Because my mindset was, if we get in a firefight, I can get rid of this weight quite quickly by firing it in that direction. Whereas if you run out, you're going to come to me mm. for help. And I didn't mind the extra fizz. I, I, could, I was like 16 stone, six foot two, pretty fit. I could carry it. But then I think to myself, well, maybe because I was 16 stone and six foot two and carrying all that weight, that's why I triggered it. Mm. Because this little area we were in, all of my section were in there. And they, there were seven devices. We were all standing all over them where I think the rain had washed mm. sand over it and smoothed it over. There was a layer. And so they were probably standing on two, but not detonating them. But then, you know, this big dumb lump of me comes over with all my weight on, stood on it because I weighed so much. Like it's got to be close to 20 stone. You know, you, you prep the, you push the, uh, the pressure plates in. Yeah. So you think, well, maybe that was it. But then on the flip side, you think, well, the only reason I survived is because I was so fit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I was so fit and healthy and my cardio system was so high running. That's why I survived. You know what I mean? But then you're like, well, I can think about this forever. Yeah. You, do you know you what I mean? You go down a fucking you rabbit just, hole there. It's what people do when I read these stories about guys that have survivor's guilt where mm. they were meant to go out on a patrol one day and for whatever reason they couldn't, their mate went out and then their mate died. Do you know what I mean? You, you could run these scenarios a million times in your head, but you've just got to try as hard as you can to accept that that's the way it's meant to be. Do you know what I mean? And what keeps you, I think that's such an important thing to say, that's the way it's meant to be. This is mm. meant to happen. A lot of people say like, you know, it's, what happens is meant to be. Like, mm -hmm. That's just a good mindset to keep you in. How do you like maintain that mood? Do you, you give yourself these challenges to stay focused on something, to have some sort of purpose or... Do you do anything that like keeps you present? Is that something that you consider about like having presence or what, what, what is it that kind of, or do you even need to? 
is this perspective shift been so deep for you? You don't need to really do stuff like that. Like what, how does it work for you on a daily basis? So I'm a, I'm a big goal setter, right? And every year I'll sit down and plan out what I want to achieve in that following year. But my overall goal in life is to become the ultimate version of myself, which is completely unattainable, which is mm. why you're always striving for it. Like every level I get to, I celebrate for a bit and then I'm like, right, what's next? Mm. All right, what's next? What's the, and then I'm on that, that path that never ends. And so I'm always moving forward and I'm always trying to improve myself and be better in everything that I'm doing. And so that keeps me like driven and focused. I'm always trying to evolve as, as a human mentally, physically, even, uh, you know, I'm not embarrassed to say it, like, like spiritually, like mm. meditating, mindfulness. You know, I had a session this morning, which is why I had my phone off most of the morning. I was in having a hypnosis meditation session about tomorrow's swim, just getting my head in the game and visualizing the swim and every stroke and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm always trying to improve who I am, what I become, what I can give to other people. Mm. And then it's really encouraging when you get all these emails and DMs from people saying really nice things and how, you know, you did this and I saw it on Twitter and, and it helped me with this. And you're like, well, this is like my new purpose in life now. Mm. You know, before it was, you know, go find some bad guys that are doing bad things to good people and, and stop them doing that, right? And now it's do good things with your life and help people that need help, that are struggling by hopefully leading by example and showing them, you know, what it, what it's all about. And, you know, it's, I'm going right down a rabbit hole here, but life can be really, really short. And when you look around and you see people in jobs that they hate, just miserable, or people living for the weekend and complaining about everything. And you're like, dude, one day you're gonna be lying in a hospital bed like, and you're gonna be like, damn, I wish I did this, I wish I did that. Why didn't I take advantage of that? And take that afternoon off work and go kayaking or, or whatever it is you want to do. Um, because when you're gone, you're gone. And I've been gone once. I know what, it, what it's like. You know what I mean? And even, you know, going slightly back that like I said earlier, when I died or nearly died that first time, I was happy. You know, my, I crammed a lot into my life at that point And I'd done what I thought was a lot of good stuff, you know, trying to help people in the job that I was in. And I was happy. I'd be happy. I'm happy with stuff now, but I don't plan on going anywhere till I'm at least 115. So <laughs> when I get to 115 and my hover chair runs out of batteries and I'm in my hospital <laughs> bed, you know, with all my, my huge family around me and, you know, I'll, I'll pass away peacefully, mm. you know, knowing that I've had a good time. It's like, it's like this is unbelievable, mate. I mean, all like listening, it's absolutely superb. I've, I just feel like you've had such an amazing insight into what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting you're talking about the spirituality, you know, <laughs> when we first started chatting, you came in and I was saying, I spent the night last night, me and mate were doing a bit of personal development work. Mm -hmm. and that. We were doing like a deep breath work healing mm -hmm. session, which is like very, very intense, powerful stuff. Mm. But it's funny, you're saying like, not embarrassed to say, sp spiritually evolving as well. And sometimes mm -hmm. I do feel like the whole point of this is our, our inner journey, like mm -hmm. understanding who we deeply are, doing the very, very best that we can mm -hmm. and living without regret so that when we do get in that hospital bed, like you said, mm -hmm that we can be happy and comfortable yeah. like you were when you went the first time <laughs> before you're under 15. That's it, mate. It's, I mean, to a degree, that, that's how you become immortal. Mm. You know, you do these cool things, you reach out, you try and help people and, and change other people's lives. And then you're here forever. 
Do you know what I mean? That people remember you for, for that kind of stuff. No one gives a shit how many millions of pounds you made mm. if you're just buying Lamborghinis every weekend. And don't get me wrong, I'd love a Lamborghini. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying like the, the mindset of some people is, you know, I'm only gonna be happy if I make a hundred million pounds and have a massive house and uh, yeah. Okay, great, but how are you positively impacting people doing mm. that? Do you know what I mean? If you want to raise a hundred million pounds, maybe use a bit of it to to do some good, yeah. and then people will remember you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's where I'm at with it all. Amazing, mate. It's so good. Uh, we've got we do the same three questions at the end of every episode. Okay. It's like quick fire. So the first one is: Is there anything you've discovered or come across recently you're particularly excited about? Oh, am I particularly excited about? Is however you interpret that. Oh man, you caught me off guard here. Yeah? <laughs> I'm just trying to think. Apart from uh, the new Fast and Furious movie, um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I joked about it just now um, when I said a hover chair. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I'm not looking forward to is is getting old because yeah. I, I don't use a wheelchair. I'm on my prosthetics all day. I know all the things I do have an impact on my body, which is why I'm constantly proactively trying to maintain my health. Yeah. But when I do get to that age. I, I genuinely think there'll be like hover chair. People have strapped drones to the bottom of them. And so mm. I'm kind of looking forward to when I'm like 90, what will be available to keep me still yeah. going rather than being in an in a old rickety wheelchair yeah. getting pushed around where I've still got my independence. So that's quite exciting to think of that. Yeah, that's awesome. What, what do you do to maintain the health? Like what are those things that you've learned through the process of recovery? that help you to maintain your health and everything else? So you have to train and move your body. Mm. I'm not talking, I don't mean kill yourself every session. I mean, just move, swim, lift, row, cycle, whatever it is, meditation. You gotta take the right supplements. You know, I take uh, CBD oil yeah. and various other things in, in my water that's in my truck. Yeah. A, a balanced diet. I'm, I'm not a monk. I don't eat salads and everything all the time. I, I'll have a burger every once in a while, but I, I balance it. And, you know, I don't go out partying every weekend. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not boring, but I just, I know now that I have to live a certain way to get the most out of life because of the energy it takes me to walk around. Mm -hmm. I have to kind of live semi like an athlete. Yeah. So I'm not saying you have to be boring and miserable but you just have to look after yourself. Mm. Treat your body like a like a car. Mm -hmm. If you look after your car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, make sure it's always always well serviced, MOT'd, just tread on the tires and the engine's running. <laughs> hey, I love that, it's so good. And that's again the inner work, isn't it? Understanding, taking the responsibility to know what we need for ourselves. And yes. not enough of us do that. I think if, yeah. we're, if we haven't been through these tough times, had the trauma, then we don't bother looking at it ever, do we? Right. But like, we all have a responsibility to understand what mm -hmm. we need. So um, the next one, mate, is one habit or routine that you'd recommend all listeners to adopt into their life? A consistent morning routine. Get up at a regular time, go through the same system. Like I'll get up 10 minutes meditation, quick coffee, and then I'm into my day. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Not get up, hit the snooze button five times, put the news on, brush my teeth with a cigarette in my mouth, mm -hmm. have three cups of coffee with 16 sugars in it and then go and get in my car and listen to the radio again. And that's bad habits. Sort out your morning routine and to a degree, um, your evening routine too. Mm. What's the meditation? What do you do? I just got a 10 minute thing on an app and it depends what 
I'm doing for the day. If I've got a particularly busy day, I've got one which focuses on flow. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, your whole day flows and you don't get so stressed out with distractions and stuff. I've got one which is about uh, unleashing your full potential and living to your your potential. So when, you, when I'm going after those goals and stuff and I, I'm maybe not as confident as I'd like to be, yeah. you know, that'll help with that. Which app is it? Uh, Insight Timer. Yes. Insight yeah, Timer. Yeah. Um, nice. I, I used to use the Headspace one, but I just, I preferred the, the yeah. Insight Timer. Or I should just go on YouTube mm-hmm. and just find something on YouTube, save it to your favorites. And I try not to go too wild. I just try and keep them in, in the same sort of niche. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm yeah. not going crazy with all different kinds of stuff. But yeah, definitely morning routines and evening routines. And what meditation will you pick tomorrow morning then before the swim? I won't have time. I'll have to do it tonight because I'm, oh, really? I'm okay. up at five. Uh, and right. But it will be what I did today um, in the hypnotherapy session, but a, a very scaled down version because that was 53 minutes <laughs> I was doing it for. <laughs> really? Yeah. And it's 53 minutes of visualization. It was, yeah. I was getting guided through it in real time mm. by someone. Um, I've never been that long before. Usually half an hour is like my max, yeah. but I would literally go to sleep tonight, running that process through yeah. my mind, wake up in the morning and I would just be gone. And what will they do? So I know I say quick fire, mate, but I'm really fascinated on the visualization. So what were they doing for that 53 minutes? Are they talking you through physically doing the swim or what's yeah. happening? So we, we talked for like an hour before and she took notes about the things I struggle with. So for me tomorrow, I know there's going to be a lot of cameras, a lot of media, and it can be quite overwhelming. Mm. And although it may appear that I handled it very well on the surface, inside I'm like, like quite stressed out. So we talked about that and we talked about the routines. Yeah. So she said like, you're going to get up at this time. You're going to do this, do that, you know, get the wet and just have the whole morning visualized it running so smoothly, get on that boat, get in the water, bang on the time. And then we literally went down into slow motion and slow motion walked through my stroke and my breathing. And then we sped it up to be like from a drone perspective, like a bit of NLP in there. Um, and then I was when I got there, I was going to be feeling great and full of energy. And, you know, it was going to be my biggest thing I, I told her is that when I swim my best is when I'm calm and I'm composed and my mind isn't in race mode. Because mm-hmm. I usually, anytime I pick up a weight, go on a rowing machine, I'm, I always revert straight to race mode yeah. for some reason. And like I said earlier about technique over brute force and ignorance, I'm in that transition phase where I'm understanding technique is more important. So she was helping me to from that first stroke being that best mindset that I've ever been in, which is all about, it's not a race. Mm-hmm. Just be calm, collected, enjoy it, stroke, breathe, stroke, breathe, and just talking me through it. So good. That comes back to your like viewpoint of enjoying it rather than mm-hmm. that, the that the race mode thing is a competition thing, isn't it? Right. Getting stuck in that competitive mm-hmm. mindset. Like I've got to go, I've got to win, I've got mm-hmm. to, that's really interesting, man. Yeah. That's great. And, and again, about the visualization, like Wayne Bridge talked about it on here. Glenn Hoddle talked to him or, or actually told him how to do it, taught mm-hmm. him how to do visualization. And he did it before the FA Cup final. And then he went on to do it for every game after that. Yeah, she actually told me about, I don't watch football. She said Leicester City did it. They mm-hmm. were like at the bottom and they all they did was brought in like a hypnosis and visualization sessions and they won the league apparently. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Um, I mean, it's talk on here before about how like confidence is a lot of a lot of confidence just comes from preparation and mm. visualization is, is just living the experience before it's yeah. happened and your, your brain doesn't know the difference between mm. imagination and reality when it comes to that so mm. the more times you run it i think conor mcgregor talks about it mm. a lot back in the day he visualizes every shot every move every counter before he's even stepped in a ring mm. and then when he gets in there it's just a case of i've already won the fight i've just yeah. got to go through the motions yeah 
you know? So good. It's, we can it's all powerful. Do it. We can all do it. Yeah. Um, the last one, mate, is what's the single trait, if you had to nail it down to one, what's the single trait that allowed you to be the version of yourself that you are today? Resilience. Mm. Resilience, without a doubt. Just understanding that failure is make-believe. It's just, it's just part of the road to success. You have to fail in order to succeed. We get so caught up on, oh, I didn't achieve that. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I'm... No, you've just not figured the right way to do it yet. Just be flexible, try again, and keep trying until you do it. Mm. You know what I mean? That's started with when I was consciously aware of it. It started with learning to walk again. Mm. Um, and then you just apply that resilience to everything. Mm. You know? Just got to keep going. Thank you so much, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate it. <laughs> no worries, man. My pleasure. There it is, guys. Thank you so much. How incredible is Mark Ormrod? What a mindset he has. And I know I said it in the interview, but I truly have never understand the power of the mind until that conversation. I've been speaking about how we can use our minds to exponentially improve every area of our life. But having spoken with someone who's been physically impacted on such a drastic level, speak about the power of mind in the way you did, it shifted my perspective entirely. I'm so grateful to Mark for coming on the podcast. I took a nine hour round trip to drive to Plymouth to ensure that I had this conversation face to face. I felt that was the least that it deserved and I hope I did it justice. I look forward to sharing another conversation with you next week. And until then, stay positive, stay motivated and take flight.